Welcome to another edition of the Around the Block podcast from Coinbase. I'm Justin Mart. And I'm Catherine Wu. Well, this week, we're getting into what it means to safely and securely store your crypto. Sounds easy, but sometimes more complicated to answer because then... <laughs> One of okay, so I was at a wedding last weekend and got into uh, you know conversation about. I get into way too many conversations <laughs> about crypto. With Do you though? I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, the, the the conversation was about you know uh, the person sitting next to me buying crypto and then asking me, oh, like, do you think this is fine? Like, can I leave it on this thing that I bought it on? And I was like, well, I feel like maybe you should, you know, because it wasn't a small amount of money. Um, and I was like, well, have you ever thought about? self-custodying and he just freaked out immediately and i was like oh god i'm so sorry for scaring you it's not as scary as you think um which led to the idea for this podcast i have the opposite experience okay one of my friends got into crypto and dabbled in some alternative currencies you know some altcoins not necessarily blue chip coins and they've grown in value and to access it he had to self-custody that was the only way to do it yeah and suddenly he has a decent amount of money in this self-custody wallet and he's going wait now i'm nervous like there's a lot of money here what do i do and well what should he do it's a good question. So this week, we're going to break it all down. Yeah. We're going to talk about the options that are available to people, how they should think about safely and securely storing their crypto, what the pros and cons are, and hopefully at the end of it, they'll be able to make an informed decision and be able to do it safely and securely and know, at least rest easy, you know, and, and feel like they're they're ready for the crypto world. Yeah. And to try to make our listeners feel extra safe, um, the guest we have on today is actually um, Mark, who uh, sits on our blockchain security team at Coinbase. So he definitely knows what he's doing. Yeah, Mark Nesbitt. He's a great guy. One of my longtime friends, extremely knowledgeable about blockchain security, about anything security related. I mean, if you sit on Coinbase's security team, you're uh, probably a pretty knowledgeable dude on, <laughs> on security stuff. So super excited to dive into it with him. Let's get into it. So Mark, uh, there's a common phrase in crypto, not your keys, not your coin. Could you help us break down what that means? Totally. Cryptocurrency, as most people know, is a blockchain-based technology where you have a balance on a blockchain and different people can do different things with those balances and move their balances, send them to other people. And what allows people to do that is something called a private key. If you hold the private key to your cryptocurrency, that is what gives you the right to move it in on the blockchain and, and essentially to assign it to someone else's uh, private key where they have the right to move it. And so then when they say not your keys, they're referring to the private keys that you have. And so when they say not your keys, not your crypto, what that means is only the people with the private keys can move the crypto. So the, the phrase says, if you want to have absolute control over your cryptocurrency, then you need to be the only one holding your private key. The private key is quite literally a key. You can think about it as a key to a safe deposit box, which holds all your crypto. And the funny thing that I find is interesting that people might not understand is the private key itself doesn't actually hold your crypto. It just gives you the ability to spend your crypto. All the crypto, it's held on the blockchain. That's where it's actually stored. The only difference is who has the ability to spend it. And if you possess the private key, you have the ability to spend it. So when we talk about who owns a piece of cryptocurrency, it comes down to who has access to a private key. Yeah. And the private key is a string of alphanumeric numbers. And so not only does it let you access the crypto that you are holding, uh, when you say spend, it also means it allows you to give permission to transact with it. I think that's how I think about it. This is actually the challenge in crypto. 
because whoever has access to that blob of data has the ability to spend your crypto. So you need to make sure that that blob of data, that private key, is safely and securely stored. Yeah, I, I, one of the ways to think about it is it's almost like a password to your crypto vault. And so whoever has access to this password can get into the vault. And the, the thing about cryptocurrency is because there's no third party, there's no manager of the network. If for some reason the wrong person were to get their hands on your password, they would have full access to the vault, which is to your point, Justin, why it's so important that it be stored safely and securely. That's one-on-one, right? First thing to understand is that whoever holds your private keys holds access to your crypto. Um, So that's a good time to transition into like the two paths that we can go down or users can go down to keep that safe. So generally speaking, there, there are two paths, as you mentioned. Either you hold on to that private key blob yourself and you take on all the responsibility of making sure it's safe. And we'll talk about what all those things are in a moment. Um, or you let somebody do it for you and you enact a trusted party to hold on to it for you. So those two paths are generally referred to as, there's kind of some nomenclature in the industry. One word is self-custody. This idea that you own the key yourself. And it's somewhere on your device, on your machine, written down on a piece of paper, whatever it is, but you are in control of it and you are responsible for it. That's self-custody. The other one is custody, where you're actually outsourcing somebody else to hold it for you. And uh, we'll get into some examples of that as well. Are there best practices that you would suggest on these two paths of either self-custody, which is holding your own assets and trusting someone else to hold your assets for you? Yeah, I think if someone is considering these two options, it's important for them to realize that with the self-custody option, you have full control and therefore full responsibility. So you have to do a little bit of a self-evaluation to say, do I feel like I have a solid enough understanding to be the one who's taking care of everything? If there are some question marks in my mind about how certain things work and I feel like there are parts of it that I don't understand, you need to realize that if you're doing the self-custody route, that there's you're the only one there. So you should you should make sure you have a solid grasp of things in order to take on that role. And when you say take care of everything, what do you mean? I mean, well, what I mean by take care of everything is that there's only you, your keys in the blockchain. So there, it's not like there's a helpline that you can call. So w- with your bank, there are other people around and they may actually be able to help you. They're, they're, they're your bank and that, that's part of what you're doing when you're storing your money with the bank. But in the case of a blockchain, it is just you and the blockchain. So you have to take the responsibility of ensuring that you don't lose your key um, in the in the two ways that you can lose it. It can either be destroyed or it can be stolen. So destruction and theft are, are the two risks to keys. And if you are going the self-custody route, you need to make sure that you've thought through how to de-risk both of those two possible negative outcomes. So what are the safeguards? What like if I'm if I'm a user and I've downloaded Coinbase wallet, it is a mobile-based, you know, self-custody wallet, and I'm presented with 12, 12 words. Now, what you're saying, Mark, is like, I am now responsible for safeguarding those 12 words. In your experience, like what's the best path to do this? And what are all the considerations people should be thinking about on how to properly secure those 12 words? And it may be useful for us to talk about the fact that those 12 words, those are called a seed phrase, and it should be thought of as equivalent to a private key. So when you download one of these self-custody apps like Coinbase Wallet, when you're setting it up, there will be a period of time where the app generates a private key and it'll show it to you in the form of those 12 words. So when we say you have to hold on to your private keys, 
we're referring to those 12 words, we're referring to the seed phrase, those are all equivalent terminology. When it comes to the time where you're presented with those 12 words, with your, when your seed phrase is shown on your wallet, you, you have to be or on, on, your, on your mobile device or however they're being displayed to you, you need to be thinking in terms of how do I safeguard these against the two types of law, loss, theft, and destruction. So if we wanted to talk about theft, one of the most important things would be to make sure they're kept private. You're going to want to make sure that you don't screenshot the phone and or screenshot like your your mo your mobile device and then allow that picture to just be stored in your device and potentially backed up somewhere where you might not have total control. You want to make sure that you write down those words and store them somewhere safe where only you or someone that you trust would have access. So that would be how you might protect them against theft. Protecting them against destruction, though, is also important because we talked about how those keys are the things that allow access to your crypto vault. And there is no third party that you can go to to get help to get access again in case you lose those keys. So destruction is, is just as much of a concern as theft. And so you want to make sure that you have them securely backed up. The device that you use will back them up as well. It will store them. Your phone stores them, as Justin mentioned. Your browser might store them, or you could buy one of the hardware wallets. But those keys are kept on that device. So if you lost the device or the device was somehow destroyed, the keys would be destroyed with it. So you want to think about how you can back up the private keys that are on that device in some other location. Usually, it's recommended that you write them down on a piece of paper and you store the piece of paper somewhere securely in your house. We can, we can dive a little deeper into what else you might do, but having that second copy, essentially, is a way to de-risk destruction of the keys. Yeah. And this all sounds a little bit like scary, but this is, again, what you take on when you want to custody it yourself, right? When you really want to just own it for yourself and you don't want to share it with anybody or you don't want to trust anybody to have access to it. The flip side on that, of course, is what happens if you forget it, right? We've all heard devastating stories <laughs> of people who randomly remember, oh my gosh, I have this wallet somewhere that has Bitcoin in it that I bought like in 2013 um, and just can't access it because they Haunting them. Haunting. Yeah. Devastating. Don't be that person. Um, which is why, as you mentioned, the second copy can be important. Um, or then we take the second path, which is to entrust another party to do this. Before we get down that path, though, um, I want to say there's actually another uh, thing to consider here, and it's what happens if you pass away? How does your family get access to it? So that's another consideration you need to think through is a disaster recovery plan, even if you're not around. How does your family access those things? So the meta level here is like there's a lot of complexity. There's a lot of things to consider if you want to own the assets yourself that are not intuitively obvious. But they're all things that you need to consider because it could result in, unfortunately, you know, losing your funds or, or worse. I mean, it's complex, but it's not new because people have had safety deposit boxes with keys and elaborate things for generations. So part of it is just planning it right. Mark, do you think that there's a simple path people can follow if they want to hold their own keys? It's going to, you know, be be a, a well-trodden, secure path that isn't terribly complex? I think there's been a lot of work put in across the industry to making this easy and doable for regular people. And there are definitely are secure options. I do think it's a bit of a challenge for new users. And I think there's probably still a lot more work that can be done in the industry to make it easy for people. If I was going to recommend crypto to someone who's not very savvy in security or computers, I would hesitate to strongly endorse this. Yes, there's this really simple, easy way you can do it. Because the simplest and easiest way to do it is what we've been talking about, where you 
set it up on your device, and then you make some sort of copy of it, whether that's on a piece of paper or whether you're etching it into metal or some of these other things that people do to protect it, it's still fairly involved. And while it's secure, it requires a certain level of sophistication. So th that goes back to that original question of if you're choosing between self-custody or having someone else custody your funds for you, you need to be feeling comfortable with the role that you have to play as the self-custody um, responsible party. One of the reasons why people would want to self-custody and hold it themselves is because that's more in tune with the ethos of crypto. Cryptocurrency is all about decentralized networks. The real ideal in crypto is that you can access these networks yourself. There's nobody who can censor you off, nobody who can kick you off the network, nobody who can tell you you can or cannot spend your money or access a certain thing. And the only true way to experience that in its most philosophical you know, context is if you are custodying assets yourself, because then you're playing with the network yourself, you are a first-class citizen, and nobody can tell you no. And that's kind of, I think, why there's a lot of, you know, people that espouse the idea of holding your own keys, because then you actually are embracing crypto to its fullest extent. I agree. I think there's something ironic about the benefits and how, how, how much there are some benefits to having a custodian who stores your crypto on your behalf because of what Justin said, that there's, there's this ethos and sort of this mythology and founding goal to be completely independent and not requiring a third party. But in some cases, we find that there are some benefits to a third party. So there is a little bit of irony there as far as the, the mission of crypto, if you will. It also just depends on how trusting you are as a person. Again, like throughout the course of history, people have kept cash under their mattresses because they don't trust to put it at a bank. So again, I think the way you want to own your crypto is really much up to you. Yeah. And like Mark said earlier, if you want to own it yourself, there are certain steps you should take just to ensure that they're safe. The, the mattress example is actually kind of interesting too, because if you wanted to think about that as an analogy, if you are going to store your own money the same way you might store your own private keys, you would think about some things about like, am I locking my house when I leave? So that would be protection against theft. Am I putting this cash in like a fire protecting bag? So that's protecting against destruction. So the same, to your point, the same problems exist for crypto that exist for many other things. We're just seeing them in a new form. Let's transition then to the idea of trusting somebody else to hold your crypto. Mark, what are some options here? What are the typical options people have when we talk about other people storing your private key or you know holding your crypto for you? Yeah, the main option for most people is to store it on an exchange like Coinbase. That makes a lot of sense for a lot of people because crypto is being bought and sold on that exchange. And so the exchange holds the private keys on behalf of the users who are doing the buying and selling. So if you want to acquire crypto, this is probably the easiest way to do it. And so it's already on the exchange when you buy it from the exchange and the exchange will give you the right to move it to your own keys if you want, or you could leave it with the exchange. That's the main route. There are also more recently have come along different businesses that specialize only in storing crypto. They're custodians is, is what they're called. And they may not have all of the features of an exchange. They're a little more narrowly focused and they have really high security bar and they say, hey, this is what we do. We store crypto safely for you. What are some tips to evaluating what's a trusted exchange or what's a trusted custodian if I did want to go that route? That's a really good question because I think that's something that's really hard for people to do. 
there are many different exchanges out there. I, I would recommend track record as like one of the very big things that you as an individual can look at. You can look and say, oh, well, three years ago, they had this significant breach, whereas maybe another option, one of the other exchanges you're considering doesn't have a breach. You can also look at the health and strength of the company that, that runs the exchange. So is this company, um, you know, well, well financed and, and healthy? Are they able to spend a lot of money on a big security team to make sure they're doing all the right things? Or is this a company that, that may be trying to scrape by and may have to cut corners? I'd also throw in too that it's important to pick uh, an exchange that actually is custodying a lot of value. Because as you say, there's a scale there. They can actually afford the teams that can do security properly. But it also means there's been a bit of a like... There's a, there's a prize if somebody could possibly, you know, circumvent that exchange or hack it or whatever. And if they're securing a lot of value, it means that they've got a track record at least of security, right? And the longer that track record is, the better it is. Um, I definitely don't want this podcast to be like a, let's always show Coinbase because Coinbase is one of the options here, right? Um, <laughs> but if I'm speaking honestly, just like the honest, my opinion here, there's not a large number of exchanges that tick all those boxes because you need that track record. You need the scale. You need these things in place. I think it really just comes down to a trade-off between convenience and security, right? Like convenience is obviously just implicitly trusting either exchange or custodian to take care of it and make sure that nothing happens to it. And of course, you're saving on convenience for yourself here. Uh, you know, again, with a mattress example, I don't have to lock my doors. I don't have to, you know, think about, I mean, I do have to lock my doors, but like, <laughs> not like I don't have to put in three gates and put a fireproof box or something. So <laughs> convenience versus uh, security, a lot of times security problems are framed in this convenience and security trade-off and sort of you gain one and you lose the other is, is a lot of times how it's framed. But I think sometimes that can be a little bit of a too, too narrow of a view where sometimes you can get both. Um, and it is possible for there to be genuine improvements in things rather than just trade-offs. And so one of the things to consider about an exchange is I do think there's an element of convenience to it because you don't have to do a lot of the things yourself. But there's also an aspect of good security because I talked about the fact that exchanges can support professionals who, who do this full time and can bring all of their expertise to bear rather than you as an individual having, having to do research and, and learn about it yourself. Now, it's important to note, though, that storing it with the custodian doesn't absolve you of all responsibility. The That's private key point. right, is held by the custodian, by the exchange. But the access to your account is still an important variable here. You need to have a strong password. You need to have 2FA. So, Mark, what are the aspects there around the, the responsibility somebody has, even if it is held by a Coinbase or another exchange? Absolutely. That's a really good point. Because if you think about how this works, you, you have your cryptocurrency stored with the third party. It's, let's just call it an exchange. They have the private keys. But if you're going to access that, suppose you want to take custody of it yourself. So you're going to have to tell them in some way that you would like them to send your crypto to a particular address. So you have to have a way of talking to them. And, and this is usually done by having an account, right? Like you log in with the username and password, and then you click some buttons in your web browser and, and the exchange knows that you've said, hey, I'd, I'd like the following things to happen with my cryptocurrency. So because there's this way for you to communicate with this exchange, there is this possibility that, that the crypto could still be sent to the wrong place or could be stolen in some way. And so essentially your responsibility when you have a custodian becomes how have I kept my means of telling the custodian what I want done with my crypto private and unique to me? So Justin talked about how that could be done. It can be done with a strong password because you're logging with a password. It, it also 
absolutely needs a second factor beyond just having a password. You should have a second factor that's called 2FA, where when the exchange is trying to recognize you, the exchange can see two different forms to know that it's truly you, so that when instructions are sent to that exchange to send the crypto somewhere, the exchange can have high confidence that this is the, the right person who's telling the exchange what to do. So if you have a relationship with a custodian or an exchange, it is your responsibility to make sure that no one else can impersonate you and that you are the only one with access to the, to the tools necessary to log into your account and give instructions to the exchange. Now, you know, despite how, how much you can try to foolproof the initial planning and storing, uh, there is still ample room time and time again for human error. And that's just not something you can account for. Um, from what you've seen, Mark, like what are some of the most common, I guess, uh, scams or phishing scams that humans tend to fall? So, so basically where the crack is, is in the, in the human themselves. Usually the scams um, target users who may not be as familiar with cryptocurrency or may still be learning. So a very common scam is is for someone to impersonate a celebrity like Elon Musk or somebody else online. And we and see say, this on Twitter quite a lot. <laughs> yes, we do see this a lot. Yeah. And we say, you know, send me a little bit of crypto and I'll send you more than you sent me because this is a giveaway and I love my supporters on Twitter this much. Um, I think you know, the, the standard guidance for scams applies here, where if something seems too good to be true, then it probably is. So uh, the way this scam plays out is somebody sends a little bit of crypto to the fake Elon Musk and then nothing else happens, right? <laughs> like, it's, pretty, it's a one-step scam, kind of, <laughs> like, send me money. Yeah. Um, but <clears throat> people get excited about crypto. They think it's actually Elon Musk, maybe, and, and they, they, they probably don't take the time to think things through. I'm like, does this really make sense that he's going to be giving out money? Mm-hmm. Um, an- another common scam is for the scammers to impersonate the exchange. So I talked a little bit about how it's important that you be able to tell the exchange um, I- exchange something privately. And so what happens is these scammers will impersonate the exchange to the user and say, hey, I'm the exchange. I'm here to help you. You got a customer support issue. Happy to help. Why don't you just tell me your username and your password and then, you know, tell me your 2FA codes and that way I can take care of everything. And then the scammer turns around and then actually talks to the exchange and can can attack the account that way and sometimes steal the crypto that's in it. So that those are two very common methods. Yeah. The practical advice, I think that just to boil it down is if it sounds too good to be true. It definitely is. And yeah, I like to call it the Nigerian prince like scam. Do you remember when emails first started? Yeah, like, it's still happening today. It I'm is sure still it, right? happening, yeah. right? It's like, oh, you've, I'm a prince of Nigeria and I have a billion dollars and you are my long lost relative and I'm going to send you a million dollars. And today's iteration is, oh, I'm Elon Musk. I have so much money. I'm gonna I don't give care. Away I'm going to give it away. Yeah. <laughs> don't share your password or your 2 with anybody. Yeah. Don't give somebody access to your computer, which might already be logged in. Like, take some common sense steps to make sure that your credentials, your authentication, like all of that's not being shared with anybody else, can't get in the hands of anybody else. Mm-hmm. One more, maybe a question on this, on this topic here. What are the drawbacks? Why would people not want to hold their assets on an exchange, on a third party? Uh, what, what are the drawbacks there? Yeah. Some of the drawbacks go back to your statement earlier about the ethos of crypto and the ability for someone to interact directly with the network as sort of a sovereign individual that that doesn't require any institutions or permission. Um, In the case of 
an exchange, they, they are the ones who hold the private keys, which means they're the ones that control the crypto. And in some cases, they may not do what exactly what you want with the crypto. So sometimes an exchange can steal crypto. So there have been cases of exchanges being run by shady, shady people and they run away with the crypto. And then there are also cases where exchanges are obligated by law to stop the activity on certain accounts. And so some people don't like the idea that maybe there could be some sort of veto over their ability to use their cryptocurrency. There's also the very famous example of Mt. Gox, which, uh, you know, wasn't necessarily, you know, stolen by the founder, but it was a, the exchange itself was compromised and hacked. And then poof, there went all the, the crypto held on that exchange. So it's always a looming threat because we have a giant glaring example from 2014, the largest exchange at the time got hacked. Thankfully, we haven't seen any big exchanges fall victim to this in crippling ways, but it still does occur, which again is why I think it's important that you evaluate what custodian you're choosing and the criteria they trusted, a, somebody who's holding a lot of capital, been around for a long time, lives in a regulated jurisdiction, all these things, right? That matters. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point because we talked about that earlier about figuring out which exchanges are deserving of your trust. And I think a lot of times it's it's good. Me as a security professional, I, I think a lot of times people don't always value this as highly as maybe they should. And so, you know, if an exchange is offering you some sort of perk to, to participate with them, you might get an extra, let's say you got an extra 3% return or something, you know, is plus three worth risking negative 100? Because sometimes if the exchange is not doing all of the proper security safeguards, that's the choice you may be facing. You just don't know it. Um, what do you say to people who you know, ask you, oh, you know, I read so much about this crypto thing getting hacked and that crypto thing getting hacked. Like, that makes me feel like I can't trust crypto and that it's just unsafe and it's too early. Like, what do you say to kind of placate those fears? Yeah, well, I try to I try to tell people what I think is going on, which I'll do in a second. But I, I do think it's also important to acknowledge that some aspect of that fear is real. Yeah, that you this isn't um, this is a cutting edge industry. And so there is some aspect of needing to understand what's going on and, and, and having having a good plan about how you're going to engage with it. So that kind of goes back to this idea of do you want to self custody or do you want to have have a custodian, you need to be thinking about like, there is some risk out there. It doesn't mean that this is a terrifying, scary place. But there are some things you can do that are riskier than others. As far as people's concerns about what's going on when I read about hacks and how does this work, the most important thing to realize is that whenever you read about hacks or attacks within cryptocurrency, almost universally, it's the case that the cryptocurrency itself, as far as the blockchain network or the asset, wasn't undermined. It was somebody lost their private keys somewhere. And that hack might sometimes get conflated in the media coverage that says, you know, the Bitcoin was hacked, but it was really someone's private keys were stolen and those were used to move Bitcoin. The way to think about that, the analogy, we've used the analogy of, of storing money in a mattress. The analogy here you could use would be with gold. If somebody steals a lot of gold from a bank vault, we're not concerned that there's anything wrong with gold as a concept. We just realized that this particular vault was not secured well enough. And that's the same story with almost every cryptocurrency hack you hear about. What is encouraging to me, though, is, you know, if you look at the 
trajectory of the amount of attacks or you know people stealing private keys, the trajectory and the amount of those that are occurring, I think we're getting better over time. It basically means the industry is getting smarter on how to actually safeguard private keys and make sure and prevent against these hacks and these thefts. And so over time, we're bending towards security. I agree with that. Yeah, I think we're we're slowly but surely trending in the right direction here. Awesome. Can I propose that we do one round the table question? Your dear family member who is not very technically sophisticated is dabbling in crypto. What is your advice? Where should they hold their crypto? Should it be a wallet that they own the keys to or a custodian of some form? Yeah, I, I definitely have a strong opinion that if someone is just learning and they're not very technical, they should store it with a custodian and not take the self-custody route. Uh, this is because there's a lot to learn with self-custody. I talked about the responsibility of being your own custodian earlier. And if this person is just getting started, I think they should defer to people who have done this and spend this spend their time professionally in getting this right and store it on exchange. There's still some level of responsibility for them having a strong password that they keep secure and then keeping track of a good 2FA. But that is an easier task than securing their own crypto as their own self-custodian. Yeah, I agree. I think for casual crypto owners, um, it's a good place to start from exchanges. And as you get deeper uh, into crypto and start maybe moving more and more of your savings into it, then it's probably time to consider uh, moving some of it off an exchange and dabbling a little bit with self-custody. Again, it's a learning journey. One of the things that I, I think is helpful to point out about self-custody too, it's one of the pitfalls that I think a lot of people make is they're focused primarily on the theft scenario, not destruction. And keeping something permanently over many, many years, protecting it from destruction is, is the difficulty of that is I think often overlooked. And so it's easy part to skip and as you mentioned about the laptop in a landfill with hundreds of millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin on it, uh, destruction can be every bit as bad as theft. Yeah, that's that's a harrowing example, right? <laughs> Somebody who mined a lot of Bitcoin a long time ago. There was has actually it on some... a scene of this in Silicon Valley. Oh, in Silicon Valley. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, they were literally in a landfill now. looking for a wallet. Well, it's a real story. There's a guy who mined a bunch of Bitcoin 2011, 2012, had yeah. it on a hard drive, threw out the computer, didn't think there was a lot of value there. So that hurts in the my heart. Yeah. But there's many other examples, too, of people who were trying to be really clever, protect against theft, had maybe too complex of a scheme or something, thought they'd just remember it. And then years go by, they actually <laughs> forgot it. You ever hide something so well, you forget where you hide it yourself? <laughs> uh, I mean, I hope that never happens in crypto. <laughs> um, anyway, thank you so much, Mark. I think this is a really fantastic 101, and I'm sure we'll have you back for a 102 at some point. But yeah, I yeah. think this hopefully helps illustrate the two paths that people can take and some of the pros and cons. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. It's been great. So what do you think? Are we going to be able to share that with our family members and have them learn all the ins and outs of exactly what trade-offs they're picking when they choose custody or self-custody? I think it's a good start. Just even what's safe in crypto and what should I do? Um, yeah, the reality is it's it's a pretty complicated topic. Um, as with all things in crypto, I feel like I've said that a million times, frankly. <laughs> Every single one's like, it's really complicated. But I'm glad that we had a chance to break it down and and talk about, openly talk about the real pros and cons of play. Yep. Well, thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Around the Block podcast from Coinbase. Do you still have any questions about custody and cryptocurrency assets? Uh, let us know. Tweet at us. And we're happy to engage with you on Twitter, on YouTube. And be sure to listen and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and on YouTube as well. 
Yeah. And we also have a website. It's coinbase.com slash around the block, where we have long form research, both on topics that we talk about the show and also sometimes uh, on more technical uh, coverages. And it's definitely worth checking out. All right. We'll catch you next week. Today's conversation is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal or investment advice. Actual results may vary materially from any forward-looking statements made and are subject to risks and uncertainties. 